Today on Stick to Football, the band is back together, baby. All three of us fresh off of influenza. We are back, unlike our Texas Longhorns, but we have some college football awards to hand out. We're going to play top five what-ifs. It's going to be a fun one. What ifs? What if we had hired Paige instead of Mello? We don't never know. See what happens. Show what we got canceled. And then then some draft on draft questions. What? Here's a fun one. Not on the rundown. What if dead Dan had lived? Would this be a four-person show? No, I don't think he would have made it. You don't think? No? (laughs) I don't know. I love that guy to death. No pun intended. (laughs) But (laughs) what a start. You guys would still have a bartender. That'd be good. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would see his hand reach over every <laughs> once in a while on YouTube. There would just be a long, awkward that cough long, yeah, with a beer. Okay, let's go around the league. Mellow Connor, welcome to the show. Watch it on YouTube next week. By the way, we are off YouTube the next two weeks because of the holidays. So just listen to the show while you're driving, working out, uh, ignoring your family on Christmas, whatever it is. Three shows next week, like always. Let's start the show right here, though, guys. Jordan Love. Declared for the draft, accepted his invite to the Senior Bowl, and promptly got arrested and cited for marijuana possession. I don't really care about that. I mean, I think we'll see the NFL go the way of Major League Baseball and eventually not test for this anymore. But here's the crazy part of this story. The police were called, guys, because some students in the apartment complex smelled weed and complained so they called the cops what a bunch of narcs yeah what the the biggest nerds in the world man there's marijuana upstairs <laughs> get the hell out of here what are you doing come on it's 2020 almost let these kids have a little bit of fun yeah it's a bit ridiculous now i will say we us three talked about this in our group text that we don't care that it was weed and we think it's ridiculous that somebody ratted on them it is poor awareness, I think, from Jordan Love. This is not the time for you to get in any kind of trouble after such a big week, whether it was the declaration, whether it is the Senior Bowl, uh, plenty of round one talk. But at the end of the day, I think this is something that will uh, will breeze by us pretty quickly, like a puff yeah. of smoke. Uh, yeah, just up. And uh, his lawyer did come out and say that he uh, they expect the charges to be dropped. We're talking about it because the draft prospect and he got cited, so we have to talk about it. But yeah, it does suck that he got cited. I don't know that it's going to affect his draft stock at all. I think a lot of NFL teams will just be like, you know what, don't get caught in the NFL. We know people do it. Don't get caught. Don't make it a problem. They're going to drug test you on April 20th. If you pass that test, you're not going to get tested again for a year. So there you go. I can't believe that people in the NFL get drug tested more than I do. I'm a teacher. I haven't. Yeah, I haven't been drug tested in a long time. Me either. Not that I'm aware of anyway. Humble uh, brag, I would pass them. Oh, yeah. I'd be good. All right, KJ Costello, not going to the NFL. He's going to transfer. 13 Stanford players, guys, have entered the transfer portal since the season ended. I don't know what's going on with Coach Shaw there. You don't normally see this from such a stable program. But KJ Costello, starting quarterback at times. I mean, he wasn't the starter when we were there to watch them play at times this year, is going to transfer. I I don't know if y'all remember this. Last summer, there was a little bit of draft hype. I think it was mostly ESPN manufacturer, but there was some draft hype about KJ Costello. I personally never understood it, never saw it. I thought he would have been a late-round pick, but I think as a college quarterback, this to me is about at the level of Kelly Bryant transferring. It doesn't really resonate, but it's a name, a starter from a, a big program is going to be leaving. We kind of have to cover it. I don't know. I mean, if he goes to a Texas Tech, 
maybe it resonates a little bit, but it doesn't. I don't think this is a guy that's going to go to Oklahoma and put Spencer Rattler on the bench. Right, right. I I don't think so either. I said probably Washington State is where this guy ends up. I go there like the secondary transfer you for quarterbacks. Go see what you can do up there. You're still in the Pac-12. You're staying in the North. You're going to be with that friendly offense. It, it seems like a good fit. That this is alarming that there are 13 players from Stanford in the transfer portal right now. Six of them are from the offensive or defensive line. This is a, a program that usually just churns out talent after talent there. To see these guys leave, I think a coach like David Shaw might have to give a little bit more attention to these NFL teams that are coming after him because they're still going to probably call. Uh, we've been talking about him for a very long time as being an NFL kind of guy. If you're losing 13 players off this roster, that's going to be tough. Maybe there's something to it. Uh, it's something to keep an eye on, at least. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, when you look at it, this is a program that often has a reputation for actually keeping players at school. A lot of guys from Stanford go back for their senior year. A lot of four-year starters or at least four-year players. When you look at Costello, really good 2018 season. He was completing over 65% of his passes, 29 touchdowns, 11 picks. He was hurt this year, but when he played, he also wasn't very good. It, just not a very good season. And as Matt said, somebody that projected to be a day three quarterback prospect. So he's going to hopefully find the right program that rebuilds that stock to making him a draftable player again after one more college season. Yeah, and he was actually someone I was wondering if he would be a senior bowl guy. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but but no, now transfers. And that's not on the rundown, but I do want to mention that. Shea Patterson, Steven Montez, Jordan Love, and Anthony Gordon are our four right now senior bowl quarterbacks, guys. There's room for eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so, we've seen them. I think six is probably the ideal number, but they've yeah. been carrying uh, about eight. I Jaylen think that Hurts. tells you all you need to know. Yeah, they're waiting Justin for some guys Herbert. to make some decisions. But who would it be? I mean, it's Hurts, Burrow, and Herbert. I don't know who the fourth one would be. Nate Stanley Eason? on there? No, he's not. He should be. That's a big I, one. I think they're probably waiting for Eason then because he is oh, probably yeah. one of those guys that could graduate. Yeah. Uh, trying to figure out, is he going to declare? Is he eligible? But this was his fourth year in school. Uh, he should have graduated. No, no judgment. No judgment. I didn't graduate in four years, but people do it. I think the question is going to be if LSU wins a national title or just makes it, which they should, yep. that's a long season for Joe Burrow. A very I actually long wrote season. about that. Uh, it comes out as people, you can go read it right now, Scouting Notebook. It's a one week because the title game is the 13th. You report to the Senior Bowl the 20th. Mm-hmm. So you get six days basically off before you have to be in Mobile. We saw Baker Mayfield do it, though, and I think that without it, he's not the first pick in the draft. I think going to the Senior Bowl, uh, proving his leadership and the way that he threw the ball there, he looked very impressive all week. I do think that really helped him. I think Joe Burrow is in a similar situation, but, man, he is head and shoulders above some of these other quarterbacks. I guess that maybe you go. I think if the Bengals are the coaching staff that are there, it would make a lot of sense for Joe Burrow to go, and I definitely want to see him at the Senior Bowl, so I am pretty biased here. But I, I hope that he does go. It will be uh, interesting to see which four quarterbacks hopefully fill out this roster. I'm sure that Jim Nagy is doing his due diligence, though, and they will be four very good quarterbacks. Well, the well, other team will probably yeah. be the Dolphins. Yeah. So probably Bengals-Dolphins both need a quarterback. So if you're Justin Herbert, I don't know why your name's not on this roster yet. That's where oh, I'm exactly. going to go with this. All those other guys have no room to say no. I mean, Jalen Hurts, you have to go. Justin Herbert, 
I know he's going in the top 10. He needs to go. I don't know if Nate Stanley has an invite or not or Jacob Beeson, but if they do, two big-armed guys that are very raw and have some question marks, they need to go. So I can understand it for Joe Burrow why you're waiting because that's a very long season. I do think he cemented himself as the number one pick no matter what as long as he stays out of trouble, which I am not concerned about that at all. But no. those other guys, they don't have room to pass this opportunity up. Yeah, and I think if you're Burrow, the, like, the argument to go is because you want to control your like, you control your own destiny if you go. If you don't, you do have to worry about a, a, a Herbert impressing the Bengals or Dolphins and then falling in love with him. People looking at the Tua tape and saying, you know what, we'll roll the dice on this hip because he's incredibly accurate. Even, yeah, with Tua, I mean, the injury is such a question mark that if you go, you can cement your legacy and say, okay, I am QB1. I mean, it's it is risky. Everything's risky at this part of the process. If you're that high of a pick, but I, I still think he should be there. Uh, I have a question for you guys. Yeah, if Tua comes back from the combine and medically gets the green light, is he your quarterback one for this draft? No. Too many injuries for me. That's the only reason. Yeah. I, I think Tua is the best pure passer in the class. Me too. I, really I love do. his leadership. I love his football IQ. Two ankles and a hip in two years just, is yeah, too much for every me. year. It's a lot. It's there's a lot. something going on that's limiting him. And we didn't talk about this a lot because Tua got hurt midseason, but that's also a dude who is not known for being like a weight room guy necessarily. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say anything negative about Tua, but his conditioning has not been notable. It's great. He's kind of a soft body guy, and now he's got three injuries. Like, that's enough for me to have a concern. There are a lot of people worried about that injury and him putting on weight after the injury, after this hip, because he is very limited in what he can do. So after the injury, if they gave him a you know, clean bill of health. I'll go back and probably dig a little bit deeper into the quarterbacks, but right now I'm pretty solid with Burrow 1 and Tua 2. Yeah, and then a gigantic chasm. Yeah, to no yes. just don't even worry about anyone else. Yeah, leap right. of faith. Uh, yeah, we, we went off the rails here, so we'll we'll clean up a little bit of what's left with the round of the league. But Tom Coughlin fired guy, 73 years old, out as VP of the Jacksonville Jaguars. When the NFLPA puts out a statement that says you might want to consider these illegal fines that the Jags have been putting on players, if you're considering signing with this club, owner Shad Khan had to do something, fellas. Yeah, and I I think that he's kind of a scapegoat here. And really, you look at the Jags organization, they just paid a lot of money to a quarterback that they're probably not going to use going forward. So there was a lot of holes there, and I I think that even if you look, look outside of the scandal that's kind of going on. They probably needed some shake up there in the front office to get things going again. Yeah, I look at this and it it makes you wonder if this is just the first move. This is that immediate move. But at the end of the season, are we just going to get a clean slate here in Jacksonville and, and they wipe it clean? They bring in a player's coach, a guy with a lot of energy. I think Robert Sala would be that kind of hire. There's a lot of hires that would be like that. Matt Rule would be somebody like that. Robert Sala would be somebody like that. The list really goes on and on where they try to change the now reputation of this franchise to bring in a lot of players or keep the talented ones they have there happy. And I actually like Doug Marone. Uh, between Me my too. coughing fits, I'll say that. I think Doug Marone's a good head coach. And I feel like Tom Coughlin was an unnecessary addition to this team. I know they got to the AFC Championship game, but like Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone were doing okay. I don't know that, that Tom Coughlin really added anything to this situation. So if, even if they don't make a change, I think they're in decent shape. Uh, all right, last bit, guys. Three players have declared for the draft that are, are notable here. Kylan Hill, running back from Mississippi State, one over 1,000 yards this year. Lynn Bowden, the 
do everything on offense player for Kentucky, receiver, quarterback, running back, and then Cam Akers from Florida State. Cam Akers had a nice bounce back year after a sophomore season that definitely did not hit what we thought it would. I don't I don't see any of these guys as first rounders. I think no. I would say Bowden is the one I'm most intrigued by. I think Kylan and Cam are day three running backs. I would agree with you. I'm excited to see Lynn Bowden a little bit more just because he played so much damn quarterback this year, which is great. Uh, his team needed him. He stepped up. He played a different position. But, man, I really want to see what he could do at receiver because he looked like a special receiver. Connor, you've been talking about this guy for a while now. It, it kind of sucks. It's kind of cool that he played so much quarterback, but I really want to see what he can do full-time at receiver. Hopefully we get a good look at him at the Combine. Without a doubt. I mean, he was probably the best returner in the country coming into this season that could also play slot receiver and outside receiver and a gadget guy on sweeps. He comes into the year. He has a really, really hot start at the wide receiver position. They lose everything they have at quarterback, and he was also on special teams playing really well, and he has to move to quarterback. And when you do that, you're no longer on specials. You're no longer a wide receiver. You're running the offense. It was a pretty impressive year for Kentucky, all things considered, thanks to Bowden being that unselfish. I think the things that stand out to me is he has such good vision He's really fast, and it's like a deceptive fast where it's build-up speed. When he got to the second level of the field as a quarterback, he would hit you know, hit the gas and go for six really often. He breaks a lot of tackles. And the few things I saw at wide receiver, at times his hands were a little shaky, but he can make plays, and he really can. He's a really good player. And I had an interesting question a couple weeks ago on Twitter. Somebody said, hey, is he more Randall Cobb or is he more Braxton Miller? And I said, this guy is not Braxton Miller. This guy can truly, truly play wide receiver. Yeah, I I think you're going to go more Randall Cobb, definitely, over those. Braxton was like... A gadget guy playing that H position, uh, getting moved to receiver. So. Yeah, trying to learn receiver. Lynn Bowden was trying to learn quarterback and going exactly. back to that situation. All right, no blind review this week. Uh, no blind review for the rest of the year, actually. Thursday night games are over. Saturday schedule looks great. Mello and I will be breaking that down on the Monday morning show. Let's take a break. We come back. We'll hand out our college football hardware for the year. Last week, the college football award show happened, and... Basically, they announced on Twitter, and then ESPN did a show and gave out all these awards to people. So we're going to piggyback off that. As long as I can talk through the next three segments, Mello and Connor might be doing most of this. But we decided to each give out our awards in the major categories, Heisman, yada, 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 et cetera. Yeah, I think most of them are pretty uh, obvious, but we don't agree on much. So we can kind of get a stick-to-football, two-thirds vote style of who we have. Let's start it with... The Heisman Trophy. Obviously, Joe Burrow won the award, but I'm going to disagree with the voters because they fucked this thing up big time. They put Chase Young four, which I know everybody's probably tired of talking about, but he would have been my number one vote. He would have been first place for me uh, if I had a Heisman vote. Yeah, me too, Mello. I-, I think when I look at the definition of the award, it's the most outstanding player in the country. And I love what Joe Burrow did. He's been awesome. Chase Young was the best football player in the country. I, I think he did the most at his position. And I think he was unbelievable in-, in every aspect. And you have to wonder if he didn't miss two games. Would he have, you know, generational numbers that gave him a better chance than fourth place? So for me on the show, you know, we are very biased with the hashtag defense for Heisman. And I believe it should have went to Chase Young. I actually am going to say it should have gone to Joe Burrow. And but it you did, lose because it's 2-3. <laughs> <It's two, three, laughs> and you suck, so sit down. Here's my thing. I, I, I've said this before. 
and I'm not Mr. You know, stick to the rules, but he was suspended two games, and I think that should make you invalid for the Heisman Trophy. I don't think it should. I, I mean, like you can't make the Pro Bowl if you were suspended for a game. I don't think you should be able to win the Heisman if you're suspended. Yeah, Even if it's for Pro a bullshit Bowl. reason. That's just my personal— like, if I had a vote, I would not have voted Chase Young first. I would have voted him second. I don't think he should be able to win the most iconic award in sports after being suspended. for Whether it's a rule you agree with or not, he broke a rule and had to be suspended for it. Yeah, I, it doesn't matter to me, though. I don't care. I go back to Connor's argument. Who was the most dominating oh, was him. player in college football? It was Chase Young. Because up until he got suspended, he would have won the award. So I, he still gets my vote. He gets the two-thirds vote. So congratulations to Chase Young. <laughs> you are the 2019 Stick to Football Heisman Trophy winner. All right, how about the Doak Walker Award? This goes to the best running back in the nation. I have to go to Chuba Hubbard. What he did at Oklahoma State this year, I know they weren't good. But he was amazing this year. And when you, I, I've said before, you put yourself in a category with Thurman Thomas and Barry Sanders at that university. Uh, what, over 1,900 rushing yards this year on an offense that had nothing else. I know Jonathan Taylor was great. I know J.K. Dobbins was great. Chuba Hubbard was the man for me this year. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going with Chuba as well. But there are two right answers here. I, and I could go either way Chuba Hubbard or Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Jonathan Taylor was exceptional. He proved this year that he could he could catch the ball out of the backfield as well. I just think that Chuba Hubbard was vastly underrated in what he meant to this offense. He put up huge numbers, was exceptional all year. His team isn't in a lot of games without him. And Jonathan Taylor, you can say the same at Wisconsin. I'm not hating on him. If you're making me vote for one of them, though, I'm going with Chuba Hubbard. This was definitely the toughest one, and it was really a three-man race for me between Chuba Hubbard, Jonathan Taylor, and J.K. Dobbins. I went with Taylor because I think the numbers were pretty close to Hubbard, and I just think it's harder to run in that conference, in the Big Ten. I think you go back to that Big Ten championship game where he ran for almost 150 yards against Ohio State. And like you said, Mello, he really showed the world that he could also catch the ball this year. So I love what Chuba Hubbard has done, and I'm the loser here because it's already a two-thirds <laughs> vote. But I think for me, it would go to Jonathan Taylor because I think it was a little harder for him to earn those yards. we got to bring that back for just random things. <laughs> yeah, we got it going right here, it's though. It's happening tailgate tour 2020. We just vote on everything. All right, the Blitnikoff goes to the best receiver in the country. I thought until about week 10 that this would be CeeDee Lamb. But when you look at what Jamar Chase did at LSU, this is where my vote goes. Almost, he had 1,498 yards, the most of anyone in college football. 18 touchdown receptions on 73 catches. That year statistically was just too dominant for me. I thought like the eyeball test, yes, it was CeeDee Lamb. Had he not had the hit injury, maybe he wins this award, but... Just couldn't quite get there for me in terms of the numbers. Yeah, I think, again, two guys. CeeDee Lamb, I think, was the most dangerous receiver in college football this year. Uh, but who had the best season? I'm going to go with Jamar Chase. Uh, if CeeDee Lamb doesn't miss a couple games, if he has maybe a better quarterback throwing him the ball, I, I mean, he, I mean, Jalen Hurts, I like him, but he's not Joe Burrow throwing the football. So that's the difference maker here, probably. The injuries, the quarterback play. CeeDee Lamb is getting wide receiver one consideration from me. I can't believe how good he's been this year. After the catch, 
to be not a very fast guy, not a track speed type guy, and to get away from defenders the way he does is exceptional. But I am going with Jamar Chase. You you throw up the numbers that you mentioned, Matt, the 18 touchdowns that he had this year, doing it against SEC talent. He's going to get my vote for the Blitnikoff. This was a fun year for wide receivers in college football, and and I'm with you there, Melo. I, I think C.D. Lamb is the best wide receiver in this draft class right now. I think it's very close with him and Judy, but I love what I've seen from C.D. And I actually picked him for the Blitkin off here because I think – he, it was harder for him because I don't think Jalen Hurts is even on the same planet as Joe Burrow. And Jamar Chase, he's phenomenal, and I'm so excited we get to see him again in college football next year. But I think with CD, it, it goes back to a lot of people are going to watch Jalen Hurts, and they're going to go, wow, it's a good thing he has CD Lamb because some of these throws are seven to eight-yard throws that and CD yep. Lamb breaking nine tackles for a 50- or 60-yard play over and over again or CD Lamb coming back to the football or mossing someone. So I thought CD Lamb was the best wide receiver in the country this year. I also thought it was ridiculously close. And I think for Jamar Chase, there's been some huge moments on some big games because let's be real, LSU has just played in more big games this year than Oklahoma. And I would have put Devonta Smith third, by the way. I agree. It, which I think surprised a lot of people, but that five touchdown game against Ole Miss by itself has to put you in the conversation. To have the year that he had was very impressive. All right, the Mackey Award goes to the best tight end. I actually thought we all three had the same guy. Then I realized I typed my name in wrong. Oh. I have Harrison Bryant <laughs> from FAU. <laughs> What's the Daisy? Uh, yeah, because I now I like the other guy, but Harrison Bryant is where I went over a thousand yards as a tight end, seven touchdowns. Uh, we're going to see him at the Senior Bowl. I think everyone will really like his game. Um, he is not an all-around tight end necessarily, but what he does up the seam as a receiving target is really exciting. And again, the year he had. I remember talking to Dana Holgerson about this with you guys last year. When you have a tight end catch 65 passes in college football, that's insane. Seven touchdowns is really, really good. So Harrison Bryant gets my vote. Yeah, I typed in the wrong name. So I lose again? (laughs) Yeah. This one actually hurts because I thought it was across the board. Right? I was like, oh, tight end, we all agree. Move on. Nope, we don't. Uh, I'm going Harrison Bryant as well. Playing at FAU, uh, obviously that conference is very tough, but he did have an exceptional year, like you said, Matt, going for over a thousand yards. Even when you look at a guy like Bryson Hopkins, who I think is another really good tight end that we'll get to see. Uh, both of these guys at the Senior Bowl is going to be awesome. I don't know that they're Noah Fan or TJ Hawkinson like we had last year, but to see them battle it out with each other at the Senior Bowl is going to be great. And there's some other good tight ends too, right, Connor? Yeah, there is. I picked Hunter (laughs) Bryant, not Harrison Bryant, to win this award. I think Harrison Bryant had a phenomenal year and had great numbers, and I think Hunter Bryant did the same in the Pac-12. He was really a go-to target for Jacob Eason. I think a lot of people are going to go back and look at Jacob Eason film and go, man, that guy number one is the best athlete on the field very, very often. So I love his ability as a move tight end. He's 6'2", 240, compared him to Evan Ingram, over 800 yards as a tight end this year in college football, that's super, super impressive. So if your last name is Bryant on stick to football, you take home the Mackey award this year. Pretty good at football. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. To the Bryant brothers. They're actually not related. Uh, The Outland award. This one is tough because it can be an offensive or defensive lineman. It has to, in my opinion, it has to be Penny. I don't know how you say his name. His name is Penny. Penny Sewell, left tackle at Oregon. Man didn't give up a sack all year. He actually hasn't given one up in college. Two years starting on the left side. 
He's going to be a top five pick next year. He might be the number one pick next year. He's that good. I think watch Oregon play. Watch watch what Justin Harbert's able to do. There's a reason he's so confident in the pocket. We talked about it preseason. Oregon might have the best offensive line of football. LSU won the Joe Moore Award. Oregon was right there with him, though. And Penny is the man. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And this is how crazy I am. I've already started a 2021 big board, and he's sitting on top of it right now. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields will probably get drafted number one overall. But I think that two to three spot is going to be Sewell. He's just so good. To be that big and to be able to move like he can, we haven't seen it at tackle. We wanted it to happen with Andrew Thomas. It just really didn't. So I'm really hoping we get it with Sewell next year. Obviously, he's a sophomore this year. He can't come out. But next year with him, I, I really am excited about what he can do. Uh, whatever quarterback he's protecting, he's going to have some good running backs. Very excited to see what he can do. He's going to win the the award for me, best lineman, offensive or defensive. Man, I don't agree with you guys on anything right now. <laughs> I went with Derek Brown for this. I thought That's he had a, a good pick. I yeah. thought he had a Quinn and Williams type of year, and Quinn and Williams won this last year. I think when you look at Sewell, he's amazing, and he should win this next year. But I think Derek Brown going back for his senior year, oddly enough with these trophies, that gets factored in at times. I just thought Brown was a completely dominant player. He really was. And I think if Auburn had snuck out a couple of those wins they could have had against teams that are in the playoff along those lines, you know, like in LSU – I think we'd we'd hear more about Brown in the national picture for college football, but unfortunately that's not the case. Uh, this was a tough one to pick again because there are so many good players, but I just love what Derek Brown did this year. Where do you guys have Brown ranked? I have him six overall. That's a great question. Uh, I think I, I had him five. Okay. Yeah, I go. don't think he's getting enough love. He's not. Man, he's like Nick Fairley. Was that the Auburn yep. guy yes. who just dominated for he was a while? Amazing. But I actually think Derek Brown can stay in the league yeah. uh, and keep his weight under control. So yeah, and Dominican Sue, but to be as big as he is, six five, three eighteen, just moves well. I, I really think that he's gonna dominate in the NFL. If I were giving this award to a defensive lineman, uh interior wise, I mean he's special. He's one of the yep. best that I've seen. Yeah, I compared him to Chris Jones. So I like that. Pretty oh, excited yeah. about yeah. We'll him. see how he does in the 40. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anyone can top Chris Hopefully Jones. Hopefully he goes balls right. to the walls. <laughs> the Benaric and the Nagurski Awards. This goes to the Defensive Player of the Year. This is unanimous. We are all giving them to yeah. Chase Young. Take your two trophies, young man. I didn't give you the Heisman, but I will give you these. Yeah, I think this one's a no-brainer. You look at best defensive player. Obviously, he's the Heisman Trophy winner for stick to football here, so he has to be the best defensive player as well. Contested. I mean, this is the easiest one. There's nothing else left to say. This is Chase Young's award. All right, let's move on then. To the butt kiss to the best linebacker in the country. I think this one is tough because you can look at someone like Kenneth Murray, who definitely had the production. You look at Isaiah Simmons, who had the pedigree, has the spotlight. There's some other players. Connor's going to highlight one because Mello and I agree. It's Isaiah Simmons. I maybe cheated here because I went with the best linebacker prospect who just happened to be the best linebacker player this year. Micah Parsons would be really, really close for me. And it's a shame Dylan Moses got hurt because I think this was his award to win. I mean, yeah, I, maybe, go ahead, Melo. I would go with like Kenneth Murray is a good pick. Uh, Connor, you, the guy you have on here is Evan Weaver. You look at just 
tackle numbers yeah, and what he's insane. able to put up. It is ridiculous. I mean, I looked at it because I, I made my first team All-Americans. You compare what Evan Weaver has done. Luke Keekley is like the only linebacker that has more tackles than him. And oh yeah, what Luke Keekley did at Boston College is fucking ridiculous. He was getting like 190 tackles a year. Evan Weaver comes in this year, 172. I mean, it's nuts. So he's definitely up there as a guy you want to look at production nobody's been more productive and we'll see him at the senior bowl nobody's been more disruptive though than isaiah simmons i love what he can do obviously i'm very high on him i've been talking about him all year he's my number four player overall right now some team is going to be very lucky to get him on that defense i don't know where he's going to play i don't know how they're going to do it but he'll be all over the field that's why i'm going to give him this award for best linebacker Simmons' versatility is really unbelievable, but just classic college linebacker. I had to give this award to Evan Weaver. Like you said, 172 tackles this year, uh, coming off a 2018 with 155 tackles. He was the heart and soul of that Cal defense, and you know they had their ups and downs this year. They really did, but that defense had a lot of games where they carried an offense that just could not move the ball. And Weaver, whether it's his instincts, his leadership – how great and consistent of a tackler he was. The guy was amazing this year. He, he really was, and I thought he was the best. I don't think he'll be the best linebacker in the draft at all, but I thought he was the best linebacker in college football this year. Yeah, I loved watching him play this year. All right, boys, the Thorpe Award. This is one that I actually had a big problem with who won this. They gave it to Grant Delpit, and I tweeted about it, how I was unhappy, and some of the voters actually reached out to me and said, hey, you know, just saw your tweets and wanted to explain this award is not just about production, but it's about leadership and character and the person. Okay, if you want to throw that criteria in there, Grant Delbert probably should be on the list. But he was not good this year. So I actually still take issue because there are other good leaders out there that you could give this to. I would have given it, given it to Derek Stingley Jr., especially if we're just basing it on what a guy did on the field as a true freshman to have six interceptions and 15 passes defense this year. That is incredible, but there's a long list of guys. You could have given this to his teammate, Christian Fulton, who battled through an ankle injury and was a leader for them. You could have given it to Antoine Winfield Jr. Could have given it to Jeff Okuda. Could have given it to Sean Wade for all I care. It feels like there were so many guys that Grant Delpit just won this because of name recognition. Yeah, it is. It feels like that, definitely. They said, okay, who was supposed to win this award? Did he do okay? Does he have high character? Sure. Uh, and then they voted for him. My pick is going to be Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, the small, I mean, undersized safety out of Minnesota. Obviously, his dad played in the NFL for a while. I think he had an exceptional year. You look at his numbers, it's not just about production, but making a difference in the game, making big plays when he needs to. 83 tackles for him coming from the safety position, three sacks this year. Uh, being a guy who's 5'10, they list him at 200 pounds. He's probably 5'9, 185. To make that kind of impact against the run and rushing the quarterback, oh, by the way, seven interceptions uh, up there, one of the tops in the entire nation. Uh, I think he's getting overlooked because it's Minnesota. He's undersized, he's not the big name yet. If we see this guy come back next year, I think that he's going to be a favorite for the award, but absolutely dominated college football this year. He just doesn't have that big name. He's not a big prospect like a Grant Delpit. So he's His my pick. game against Fresno State is one of the best any safety had all year. Yeah. I, I mean, ser watch 
Minnesota play. I know that we have some fans that are our listeners that are Minnesota fans. He really makes a difference. If it's third and 10, he's ball hawking. He's somewhere around the ball. He's blitzing off that nickel corner spot. I think that he's going to be a very valuable safety corner guy, uh, much like we're seeing with a guy like Quandre Diggs. That, that's who I look at and say he's an undersized safety. He kind of plays some corner. He doesn't have that true position, but he's going to make a difference in a football game. This has become... Oh, an award based on hype. It really has. That's why Grant Delpit got this award. And I I feel like I was one of the leaders of the Grant Delpit hype coming into this year. I wouldn't even have him as a finalist for this award. No, he shouldn't. That's the thing. I didn't even think he was good enough to be a finalist here. And it goes to show you how many guys were better than him. All three of us picked someone else, and all three (laughs) of them were better options than him. I went with Jeff Okuda. I I think... Jeff Akuda would have never had the numbers for this award because why would you ever throw the football in his direction? He had three interceptions and seven passes defensed. Let's be real. The guy is the best corner prospect in this class, and he is lights out on his side of the football field. He really, really is. And I thought what I saw on film of Jeff Akuda was significantly more impactful than anything Grant Delpit did in any single game this year. So, I like all of our choices. There's no two-thirds vote for this one or three out of three vote because these guys were all just great options. They are great options. Let us know who you guys think should have won these awards, where we got it wrong. Tweet us at Stick to Football. We'll be back with our top five what-ifs right after this. I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter this week, but there was a great question posed, and it was the what is your greatest sports what if? We thought this week we would take that, expand it a little bit, and give you our top five what ifs. If you guys don't mind why the voice while the voice is holding up, I'm going to go ahead and give you my top five. Hopefully it'll work here. Number five, guys, what if Brady's tuck game was ruled a fumble? The Raiders go to the Super Bowl. The Patriots dynasty maybe never gets started. Adam Vinatieri is not the greatest kicker of all time. The last 20 years of football are completely They probably different. bring Drew Bledsoe back. Maybe. No Tom Brady. The Jets are in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Every year. So there you God. go. So that's a, that's a huge one where you can like you can change 20 years of NFL history on that one play. So what if Brady, what if it's ruled a fumble? Number two, and this is a, a big one as a Niners fan, because I grew up in this era where it was Joe Montana was hurt all the time. Steve Young would come in. They would play great. And then Steve Young would go back to the bench. I'm just going to sit back while the 49ers fans try to kill you through your what microphone. What if? Steve Young was given the job in like 91 when Montana got hurt, when he hurt his back. I think the Niners would have a couple more Super Bowl wins. 90-93, that was a great team. They should have won it that year. I think the 92 team probably should have won it, but Montana's injuries held this team back. I think the Niners would have two more Super Bowls if they had benched Montana for Steve Young at the end of his career. That's a bold take, but all right. You guys have fun on Twitter with that one. (laughs) Number three. What if the Oakland Raiders hired Bill Belichick over John Gruden? And that might sound really fucking random, but Amy Trask, who was the team president, lobbied for this. She wanted Al Davis to hire Bill Belichick over John Gruden, and Al wouldn't do it. How different is the world? Cleveland? It was when he got fired from Cleveland. (laughs) Way to go, Brown. How different is the world (laughs) if the Raiders hire Bill Belichick instead? Number two, what if Michael Jordan doesn't wink, wink, nudge, nudge, retire? Oh, you're going to share that conspiracy theory? That's a well-known conspiracy theory, that he was suspended by the NBA for gambling, that he didn't actually retire. I'm into that. 
We can, I, do, I, mean, I believe the it. Top they five would... conspiracy theories will happen on this show soon enough. <laughs> We're just so scared to touch it. <laughs> I know. We all go silent on a podcast. I'll go there. I, I think they would win two more NBA championships. Exactly. So there would have been no. But what does that do to the Spurs? You know, the legacy there. No, they're, they're fine. The Spurs came afterwards. Like guys like Hakeem Olajuwon never wins oh, an NBA championship. Yeah, it was right. Yeah, okay. I mean, uh, you look at so many players that were blocked by Michael Jordan, Karl Malone, John Stockton. Like nobody yeah. from that era has an NBA championship <laughs> right. except for Hakeem Olajuwon because they all got blocked by Jordan. It was like, you know what? Fuck it. We can't win. Uh, let's put up banners because we won the Western, Western Conference. Conference. <laughs> right. And my number one, and this one's so close to me. What if Joe Kane doesn't get a DUI on that motorcycle after the bar fight in the program? I mean, ESU probably wins the national championship. No, he guy wins the Heisman Trophy. Guy wins the Heisman Trophy, enters the draft, is the fictional number one no overall No one's pick. talking about Tim Wayman. No if one cares that about happens, Tim Wayman. Nothing. No one cares about yeah. Tim Wayman. Darnell Jefferson probably rushes for 800 yards. Like, no, three people will read it, but before I die, I will write a sequel to the program. As that a book, would be a Amazing. I don't think three people would read it. I think there's a unique audience out there that would jump all over it. Yeah, I know Andrew Magnuson would. Right? He shows up. Kane is able. I might do that this summer just for shits and giggles. I might write the sequel to the program. Yeah, I'll help you cast it at least. (laughs) All right. There we go. Summer project. (laughs) All right. I'll read through mine. I'm going to start at number one. This one's near and dear to me. I want to know what if Vince Young was drafted to a different team or playing in this era of football right now. I'm one of the most special athletes. You look at, obviously, Lamar Jackson. You look at Michael Vick. Vince Young is right there in that category for most athletic quarterbacks I've ever seen. He just was in a very shitty situation. He brought a lot of it on himself. I mean, the guy's still getting in a little bit of trouble. But to have him playing in an offense like what Colin Kaepernick was playing or what we're seeing with Lamar Jackson, if he got drafted to a different team, I think that he's still in the league. He's probably still running all over the field. It, it could be exceptional. I mean, multiple MVPs. If Norm Chow hadn't tried to make him a pocket passer. Right. He was he was the rookie of the year. He came in, led the Titans to multiple victories. I, I think that he could have, if he could have landed in a different situation, and we talk about situation and how important it is, he landed in a shitty one with the Titans. So what if Vince Young were drafted to a different team? Number two, what if Brett Favre never retired? I mean, I'm talking from the Packers. I know there are a couple ones there with <laughs> yeah, the Vikings, yeah, with the so Jets. Many. But what if this guy stays in Green Bay? I, Aaron Rodgers probably gets pissed off and has to move on. He's probably at a new team now. Uh, the Packers don't have that transition from one MVP to another. I, I would like to see what he could have done, the records that he could have set if he stayed with the Packers and had that just that feel of the offense and being comfortable there. He didn't. We'll never know. Number three for me, got to stick with the Longhorns here. If Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt, they win the national championship. I don't even know if that's a what if. That's just That should be a fact out there. If he doesn't get hurt, I want to see what kind of pro this guy is going to be because he's still kicking it around in the league. He's barely got a shoulder attached to his body, thanks to Marcel Darius. What if Colt McCoy doesn't get hurt? Maybe he gets drafted a little bit higher. I'm very biased towards Colt McCoy. There's a lot of Longhorns who I'm not tied to. It's Colt McCoy. It's Puna Ford. That's pretty much it. I want to see what happens if Colt McCoy stays healthy, if he still has a shoulder. The next two, let's dig way back. What happens if... 
Bo Jackson never gets hurt. I think that's one that a lot of people consider and talk about. I think he could have been one of the greatest running backs of all time. He put Marcus Allen out of a job. Uh, I did benefit from him getting hurt because he was a Kansas City Royal uh, and a great all-star outfielder. But playing with him on Tech Mobile, and I was a little bit too young to see him play in the NFL for very long. But if he were to stay healthy with that hip... Obviously, he could have been very special at running back. And I'll stick with the baseball theme. Ken Griffey Jr., just don't leave Seattle, never gets hurt. I think we're talking about the best baseball player of all time if he doesn't do that. The gold gloves, being able to run the bases, the home runs, the swing, everything. It would have been Michael Jordan, but with baseball, he would have been the best of all time, in my opinion. Yeah, that's one of my favorite ones because you always got to ask yourself, like, what would have Griffey been like in the non-steroid era? Oh, my God. I, oh, yeah. It's almost like he, his greatness gets buried because of he, he was in that era. But the guy, when healthy, was one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen. That's one of the only times I've met an athlete that came into Bleacher Report, and I was, like, starstruck. Because we interview, yeah. and when you meet Ken Griffey Jr., it's like, holy shit. All like, right, Every white kid yeah. in America wore their baseball hat backward because of Ken Griffey Jr. Totally. He changed the culture of the game. That's, yeah, I mean, even after he got hurt, he was still hitting like 20, 30 home runs a year while injured. I mean, if he could have just stayed healthy, he's hitting you know, 45 plus home runs probably every year. He hit 56 one year, right? Two, I think years. so. Yeah. He did it twice. So what if Barry Bonds had never taken steroids? Then he would probably still hit 600 home yeah. runs and be in the Hall of Fame. He would still be, all, he would be still in the Hall of Fame. He's a great baseball player. Oh, yeah. I nope. saw our buddy Adam Heisler tweeting about that. Nobody knows yes. hitters like that guy. Number five for me is a little bit of story time. What if the Jets never got Brett Favre? And this one is so fun because obviously it's personal. But story time aspect is Eric Mangini did not want Brett Favre. They were going into camp with Chad Pennington that year. And Mangini was like, Pennington's my guy. And the owner, of course, Woody Johnson, was like, we're getting Brett Favre. You have no choice. Move on from Chad Pennington. Well, that year, while the Jets did start 8-3 and three with Favre, and then he hurt his shoulder and everything went to shit, they didn't make the playoffs, Chad Pennington led the Dolphins to an AFC East title. That is the last time somebody but the New England Patriots won the AFC East in 2008. So it really, oh really God. makes you wonder. Number four for me is what if Tom Brady went one pick later? Instead of 199, he went 200 to the Saints. Can you imagine the trickle effect of that if he lasted one more pick? No Drew Brees greatness in New Orleans. Who knows what would have happened? How good would Brady have been in New Orleans? The draft ones for this are ridiculous. I'm going to go right to another one. What if Andrew Luck retired just a little bit earlier? The Colts never trade the third overall pick to the Jets. And they take a quarterback of the future. Say the Colts take Sam Darnold at three instead. And the Jets take Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, whoever it may be. The entire dynamic of the future quarterback in the league would be so, so different right now. The Colts take Lamar Jackson. That would be (laughs) wild and really fun. But guess what? Didn't work out that way. Number two, what if David Wright never got hurt? David Wright was a seven-time All-Star and two-time Gold Glover, and in his early 30s, 31 years old, he gets spinal stenosis, completely ruins his career. You know, one of He could have been one of the best third basemen of all time, considering how long guys play that position into their 30s, late 30s. That injury was crushing. One more draft one here that would have changed the last 15 years of the NFL. What if Eli Manning didn't protest going to the Chargers? What if he just sucked it up and said, I'll be oh, a Charger? Man. And what, because that trade was the Giants took Phillip Rivers and traded right. them. 
What if Phillip Rivers was a New York Giant? Do they win those Super Bowls? Do they win more Super Bowls? Do the Chargers win Super Bowls with Eli Manning? Can you imagine Phillip Rivers a giant? in New York? <laughs> yeah. The the media would just be crazy with him. It's also, I don't think he would have lasted. I think he would have yeah. got out. And moved on. I agree. Yeah. It was best for both. But it makes you wonder, like, people don't talk about that Eli Manning came out and said, I won't play for the team picking number one. And then one. they drafted him. Do you, do you guys yes. oh, yeah. they had to work out a trade. Where they drafted him. Like, like, you know what? Fuck you. We got you yeah. now, buddy. He had to take the picture holding the jersey and everything. <laughs> and that trade actually led to not only the Chargers getting Phillip Rivers, but one of the other picks they acquired in that trade was for Sean Merriman. That's he, huge. The wow. extra first rounder. Not that it you know, matters crazy. in the end. The Chargers had Drew Brees and Ladanian Tomlinson at the same time. And, and same did, draft. Didn't keep either of them. And a guy same named draft. Antonio Gates. <laughs> God, good. Here's the trivia. Do you guys know who was the pick right before Tom Brady? Matt Bowen. Matt Bowen. Yes. Did I get money for that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, is that Chargers team that didn't make a Super Bowl the greatest team to not make one? Well, the team that went, um, what year was it? Didn't they win 14 games? I'm looking it up right now. I believe they finished first on offense and defense. Yeah. Oh, 14 and right. 2. 14 yeah. and 2 in 2006. They lost in the divisional round. Oh. That was their first year with uh with with Rivers. Yeah. Man, and that sucks. Yeah. Like LT was just running over everyone. LT won the, the MVP that year. Yeah, Marty Schottenheimer leading yep. them. And they fired Marty. Mar- was a good coach. Marty was fired after a 14-win season. <laughs> Lorenzo Neal was on How that team. How do you team? get fired after a 14? That Keenan McCardell, too, I think. Had a good team, Vincent Jackson. All right, let's take a break. We come back, your draft on draft questions instead of us just going down memory lane in the NFL. Draft on draft time. This first one from Tyler Reynolds. How and why has the perception from national media changed so rapidly on Ohio State from weeks ago to the playoff? We were talking about how great this team can be to now all of a sudden they're going to be dog-walked by Clemson again. And I think the perception hasn't changed on Ohio State. I think the perception has changed on Clemson where people are saying, you know, you better look out for these guys. I know they haven't played anybody in the ACC, but there's so much talent on that team. They were the number one team coming into this year for a reason, and they're starting to get their shit together. And that's scary for people. It's not that Ohio State is regressed at all. It's that people are finally opening their eyes to Clemson. Ohio State's still great. I think that they made an argument for being the number one team, but now you're number two and you have to face the defending national champions who brought back their quarterback, their two receivers, their running back, offensive linemen, and their defense looks unstoppable again. So I think it's more to do with Clemson looking great than Ohio State looking bad. I agree with everything you just said. I love Tyler. This is my pet peeve, though, is when people ask, because I get asked this all the time, like, why are you different than the national media on a player or a team? I don't know, because I don't talk to the national media. Like, I, we don't have a convention where we sit around and, like, debate about why we're different. Oh, you don't people. go? No, I don't I'm go right. to the convention. I'm not invited. <laughs> uh, so I will say, like, that's a weird pet peeve of mine because I get asked it daily. Why are you different about X, Y, and Z than the rest of the media? I don't fucking know because they haven't explained to me why, like, why they think the way they do. I will say that with Ohio State, just like you said, though, Clemson has been there and done it. And Ryan Day is still a first-year head coach. And I think there's always going to be a little bit of skepticism when it comes to a first-year head coach, a first-year quarterback against a team that did it last year. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm with you all the way there. I think 
The weird thing about this conversation is, and I fell victim to this because we got busy. We were on the road nonstop this year. That yep. slow start by Trevor Lawrence, it took me a couple weeks of him being great to be like, oh, shit, like he looks amazing again. Mm-hmm. We just didn't get to catch up on all of it that fast. And now you watch it and you go, that offense is pretty much the same team that won a national title, blew the doors off Alabama last year. And uh, I that better Connor, Alabama like, defense. Not only were we on the road, they weren't playing anyone. So by the yeah. time it was like, oh, shit, they're back to where they were last year. It was like, okay, they beat Charlotte. You know, it's like oh, they're scoring a ton of points again. They barely beat North Carolina at the yeah. end of September. And I, I mean, that's when I was like, okay, who the fuck is this team? But then they just started stopping people again. So it, it's a mixture of being busy. And then also like they, they didn't play Schedule anyone. Sucked. Not to be all, you know, not to go Paul Feinbaum on you guys, but they really didn't play anyone. Yeah. And they're peaking at the right time, which makes them super scary. All right. Next question from Al. I love a simple name like that in the rundown. All sorts of mock drafts have the Bills taking a receiver in the first round. We're guilty of that on here. How much does or should it matter that Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable coached the three Bama receivers as freshmen when he was Bama's offensive coordinator? Of course, Judy won't be on the board for them, but would that make Devonta Smith or Henry Ruggs a better fit than Lamb or Chenault? It I mean, might you always, be, it's always... Yeah. The devil you know is always better than the one you don't. But like like Al says here, I don't even think Ruggs is going to be there for the Bills where they're no, at right now. I mean, 25. They keep winning. And I think Devonta Smith, we've heard he might go back to school. I, I think that you can always note commonalities like this or connections like this, but I'll never forget people saying Doug Marone was going to draft Ryan Nassib in Buffalo because he had coached him in Syracuse. He did not draft him in Buffalo. And so sometimes because you've coached guys, you don't want them. Yeah, that happens. You know a lot. their weaknesses. And with these Alabama receivers, they're all small guys. And what we've been talking about with the Bills is give Josh Allen a big target. He's yeah. got a guy in John Brown that can go deep. He's got Cole Beasley that can get that short intermediate stuff. Give him T. Higgins. Give him a big target, like a T. Higgins, or even I like Shane Alt could be that. Give him a big target, a red zone weapon that he can really go and utilize. I think they've already got two pretty good receivers in place. So I even if you have Devonta Smith sitting there. I don't know if they take the chance on that, him playing in that division in the cold weather. I, I think they're going to go with more of a T. Higgins type guy, a Michael Pittman maybe at the end of the first round. We'll see how far they go where they're picking. Right now at 25, you're not getting Judy. You're probably not getting Ruggs either. No, and I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is another interesting one yeah. for them. That's yep. that's the yep. conversation that they're in right now. All right, Thomas Burton. For us draft process newbies, what are the rules for player conduct in regards to getting banned from the Senior Bowl or Combine? Would, say, a Class B misdemeanor possession <laughs> charge be the end of the world for a certain Utah State quarterback? Yeah, so the way it works now, it is a little ambiguous, and some agents have fought against it, but it's basically if you have an assault charge, you can be banned from the Combine. Um, you know, We've seen it with guys like Joe Mixon and others, but a, a Class B misdemeanor, nope, nobody cares. Yeah. NFL's not going to care. He'll be at the combine, still going to be at the Senior Bowl. No, if problem. he fails the test of the combine, we'll talk. Then it's an issue. All right, because you know that one's coming. Yeah, and for the combine stuff, you know, we're usually out in front. You'll get tipped off of guys that you know uh, aren't eligible because of certain incidents. I believe that happened to Preston Williams last year. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So it it happens, especially anything domestic related. But, yeah, it it can be a little bit of a gray area. It really can. All right, James Demuse. 
If you were to do the NFL Top 100 and select the top players by team rather than the whole NFL, which team would have the best roster? If we're going all-time... I should say, is it all-time or now? Well, the NFL 100 is all-time. So I would say the Pittsburgh Steelers... I mean, their whole team from the mm. 70s pretty much made it. You look at some of those <laughs> linebackers in the 90s and 2000s, I, there's going to be a lot of players on that, that list. Yeah. Steelers, Cowboys. Niners. Not, it's, Niners. Niners have. You would have Joe Montana, Jerry Rice. Randy Moss was a Niner for a second. You could throw him on no. there. Oh, my <laughs> God. Come He's on. not going in Come as on. a 49er. Brent Jones, a tight end. <laughs> no. The O-line would be weak. You'd have Ronnie Niners. Lott. You'd have Ronnie Lott. You get three. Charles players. Haley. You, do you get Charles or do the Cowboys? No, no Cowboys I don't care. He's not on the NFL 100. <laughs> oh no, I thought you were saying the if you could accumulate the best, like who would have the best all time roster? Basically, I'm sorry, I misunderstood okay. the question. Maybe I did, but oh, I did the same thing as Matt. Maybe we're all just idiots. <laughs> sorry, James. Maybe. We tried to answer your question, yeah. and we all okay. Gave well, you... even then, I still think the Steelers. I think their weakest position is probably quarterback. Right. And the Cowboys are going to be really the fucking Cowboys hard are going to be tough to beat. They're going to have the best shutdown corner of all time. They have the leading rusher in the NFL with Emmett Smith. That offensive, the offensive line, line is the safety. <laughs> They're going to be too deep at offensive line that's just going to be yeah. nasty. Jay Novacek, Daryl Johnston. Yeah, the Cowboys would be pretty pretty tough to beat. Did I say Dion? Dion's going to be on there for the Cowboys probably. Weak at free safety. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You have Dion and right. <laughs> Darren Woodson. Yeah. All right. Last question of draft on draft for today. And if you've sent one to us, whether it's via DM and we've answered you or we haven't, we're still getting those in. So listen next week and we'll still use all your questions because we've gotten a lot of good ones lately. But this one from our buddy, Bar Upa. How closely do you all follow National Signing Day? Any recruits you predict on your big board three to four years from now? I give it a little bit of attention. Uh, I'm definitely not putting people like on a big board. I, yeah. I talked earlier, Bear, uh, how I have a 2021 big board. That's really just like players trying to get out in front of it. Right. A lot of these guys... I don't know him. I know that the big Clemson, the quarterback, he sounds special. I know a lot of Alabama fans are very excited about Bryson Young. Other than that, no. I'll look at some of these Texas guys, where they're going to land, what people like Adam Kramer are saying about them. Yeah. But other than that, I want to see um, who's going to make an impact as a freshman. When they start to become a freshman and they're actually playing against college-level guys, then I'm going to start watching them. Uh, Brian Breesey is the number one recruit going to Clemson. He's a big defensive tackle. I've never watched a single second of him play football. I will say that I, as a Texas fan, I've been burned by recruiting rankings so many times where, sure, you know, when, when Texas signed Malik Jefferson and got all those kids out of Florida, it was like, this is going to be the turning point. Oof, yeah. And no, it wasn't. None of them ended up good. And so it's just... I mean, it's fun, and it's like this is probably what being a fan of the draft is like because you're just sold hopes and dreams. But investing in 17-, 18-year-old kids to be the future is really, really tough. And you, and I will say, the guys who do recruiting rankings, God bless you because our job is hard. Your job is harder to predict how good a 17- or 16-year-old is going to be. So I don't pay attention outside of, you know, we have our friends at the University of Texas. They tell us who they're excited about, and I might watch some huddle clips every now and then, but that's about as close as I get. Yeah, it's I, such a crap yeah. shoot. It too. is. 
It is. I'm not in it like I used to be. When I started at Bleacher Report, I was a lot more involved because we did so many different video series with recruits, whether it was Army All-American or recruiting videos or commitment videos. Now, the extent of it for me is the great push notifications from the Bleacher Report app that says this five-star player went here. And then if it intrigues me, I open it up, read a little bit about them and go, "Okay, let's see how he gets through his first spring or something like that. I mean, that's what it comes down to his first camp. So I'm with you guys that if you get so caught up in the hype of recruiting classes, there are so many times where some guys don't even ever play. And exactly. I'm going through and looking at old lists. I'm like, don't know him. I watch a lot of college football. I should know you if you're the number five recruit in the nation. Go through the top 25s of the last like 10 years. And there is a handful in every list that, you would mm-hmm. never even know appeared on it, put a uniform on. And it's not like, oh, this guy signed at UT Tech or, you know, somewhere like that. They're, there's guys going to Alabama, Florida State, Florida State that yeah. never hit the field and don't do anything, but they're five-star recruits. So, yeah, I'll pay a little bit of attention. I paid a lot of attention last year uh, because I was really excited about uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. And what yeah, he yes. was able to do, a lot of people were talking about him. It's like I couldn't get away from him. So I was like, you know what? Going to go ahead and watch some tape on him. But still, watching these guys dominate the high school level doesn't put them on my draft radar. I remember when Jonathan Gray came out, and he had set every Texas rushing record for the state high school. And the Longhorns were very excited about him. He didn't do shit. He didn't get drafted. He was an okay running back at Texas. So I'm not going to let their ranking and how they're recruited affect the draft. If you go back to 2016, the top five players were Rashawn Gary, Dexter Lawrence, Shea Patterson, Jacob Eason, and Greg Little. So those five names we at least know. Yeah, yeah you at least know, but they're not top five in their draft classes. No. no. Derek mean... Brown was number six. Ed Oliver was seven. How was he seven? Nick Bosa was <laughs> ten, folks. So It's crazy. And, I mean, guys, like that age they're at, the way they develop from 17 years old, 16 years old, yep. to 21 is off the charts. I mean, Shea never really got any better. No, so it's it's wild. It is such a cra- I mean, it's funny. It's like it, it's funny hearing it from us because we do the draft and everyone calls it a crapshoot. Imagine <laughs> oh, doing right, yeah. that. That's a oh, crap yeah. shoot. no way. No way I would ever want to live in that world. So props to everybody that does. All right. That is our show. Like I said, Monday morning, Mello and I will be giving you a show uh, live from somewhere on our way to Chicago or home from Chicago, where we'll be at Bears Chiefs this weekend. Connor gets a, a rare weekend off to enjoy Jet Steelers. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, whoa, buddy. Catch that Yippee! Excitement. And then Wednesday <laughs> is Christmas. We do have a new show coming out Wednesday morning. It will be, I'm conducting interviews all week. Uh, Darren Waller, Eno Benjamin, we'll have some good interviews for you guys. New stuff, not old stuff, next Christmas morning. And then Friday next week, normal show. Again, no YouTube the next two weeks, but we will talk to you all real soon. 